We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Are. This is Sports Crutch with DCROM. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, of Full Press Coverage and BostonSportPage.com. All I can say is that I'm at a loss for words to describe what we experienced last weekend. Four games, all decided in dramatic fashion on the final play. The odds of that happening, 1,000 to 1. And the last of those four being a finish for the ages with a whopping 18 points scored in the final minute and 13 seconds of regulation to force overtime. If that wasn't the best weekend of football ever, I don't know what is. And I highly, highly doubt we ever experience anything like it again. What do you think, Cal? I mean, David, practically speechless. I mean, every game, whether it was high scoring, whether it was low scoring, it was high entertainment. You were on the edge of your seat the entire game. You had those fantastic finishes. You had heartbreak. You had tragedy. You had joy. Uh, I mean, you just ran the gamut. It was an exhausting weekend. I'm telling you, by Sunday night, I was just collapsing between these four games. It just blew me away this is why the nfl is king weekends like this show america why everyone is tuning in and why it's the only show on tv just about anybody watches anymore for that kind of drama there's nothing close to it you couldn't have said it any better my friend and before we uh, get on with the program here let's talk about our main takeaways from the divisional round and i will go first And this takeaway has nothing to do with the games themselves because uh, what the games were explains everything to me. My main takeaway has something to do with somebody's future. And that certain someone is the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The news just bubbled up so fast, yet we just might have seen the last of Tom Brady on the football field. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, Tom Brady, he, he still plays at a very, very high level. Why is he pondering walking away? On his Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray, he said the following, and I quote, I said this a few years ago. It's what relationships are all about. It's not always what I want. It's what we want as a family. And I'm going to spend a lot of time with them and figure out in the future what's next. This is a guy that clearly is in talks with his family and his, it's apparent his family wants him to spend a lot more time with them than his schedule currently allows. And being the devoted husband and father he is, this sounds like somebody who is very seriously contemplating retirement. And based on that quote alone, I think he's leaning towards retirement. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's certainly for something that he wouldn't talk about in the past. It's a complete 180 in that conversation with Jim Gray. Yeah, it really sounds like he's very close to the end and and what that means for Tampa Bay and, you know, and the NFL itself losing an icon like that, that is uh, very surprising and, you know, an end of an era almost. And you, you factor that in with everything coming out of Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and is he staying, is he going, is he gonna force his way out? 
and it's you know the NFL offseason hasn't even started and it's already uh you know wheels are turning furiously in that department so definitely david we're not going to have any rest this offseason the NFL looks like it's going to stay as a uh, news feed number 1 all the way through I've always said there is no offseason in the National Football <laughs> League. There's only a playing season and a non-playing season, so to speak. And uh, what's going on right now in the NFL with the uncertain futures of two absolute legends of the game and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers perfectly symbolizes why. Exactly. And, you know, the other takeaways to take from that, I mean, you've got to look at that next generation as well. And we talked, you know, mentioned those games speaking for themselves, but Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, I mean, what a performance for the ages, what uh, a showdown, both quarterbacks, um, you know, through the air with their legs, extending plays. I mean, it was just some of the best quarterback play I've ever seen in my life in that one game between those two superstars and, you know, just shows the NFL, the future is bright still. It absolutely is. And even though it'll be sad to lose Tom Brady, should he decide to retire and Aaron Rodgers, should he decide to retire? Heck, Aaron Rodgers retirement is still on the table for him, although it's uh, not the most likely option uh, for him at the moment. Uh, but we can be assured that the NFL is in tremendous hands with elite young quarterback talent. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, and on and on and on with the uh, hopefully Trevor Lawrence adjusted fields in the years ahead. And uh, in the 2023 draft, we hopefully with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, we're going to get great quarterback play still, even without Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And we should be very, very excited about that nonetheless. And one of the main takeaways from that epic Bills Chiefs game is that it provoked a debate on whether or not the NFL needs to change its overtime rules. And as Ian Rappaport tweeted out earlier in the week, there's a strong case for keeping the rules the way they are. And there's a strong case. For changing them. It's actually a lot more complicated. And here's why of 11 playoff overtime games, since the current rules were instituted in 2012, 10 of 11 teams that won the coin toss won the game. And seven of those teams scored a touchdown on the opening drive of overtime. However, of the total 163 games, since the current rules were instituted, including the playoffs, Teams that have won the coin toss have only won 52.8% of the games, dare I say. So it's a much tougher decision than anticipated. Nonetheless, should the NFL change the overtime rules? And if so, how? I mean, it's a tough one, David. I like the NFL overtime rules the way they are. Team has to get the kickoff score touchdown. They're not walking off sudden death with kicking a 55-yard field goal on the first possession of overtime, the league is going to argue about player safety in overtime as well. The league does not want these games to go on and on and on. We've seen college football tweaking their overtime rules for these games that went on for an hour or so after the regulation ended. We, you know, nobody wants that player safety wise, entertainment wise, the rules they are are exciting. 
you know, I hate to be one of those people that say it, but you know, guess what? Your team has to play defense. Guess what? Your team uh, can't be given up uh, a big kickoff return and expecting to win in overtime. So you've got to play all three phases of the game, including overtime as well. So I am a proponent of keep it the way it is. Keep it simple. It's worked so much better than overtime in the past. So let's keep it where it is. That's where I'm at with overtime. There was a side of me earlier today that said we should go back to 15 minutes in overtime as one rule change. And as another potential rule change, a touchdown on the first possession cannot end the game anymore. And each team should have a chance to touch the ball. But that player safety factor that you mentioned changed my mind completely. The NFL cannot preach player safety if they change the overtime rules that will enable the games to go on for much, much longer than anticipated. If the NFL truly cares about player safety, they really have to keep these current overtime rules the way they are. That's all there is to it. And you changed my mind there, Hal. That is all I can say. And now it's time to play our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement and you determine whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with the pretty surprising news out of New Orleans that Sean Payton is stepping away from coaching for the time being, the end of a tremendous era down there in New Orleans. So truth or exaggeration, when all is said and done, Sean Payton will be a serious candidate for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think he, I think he has to be a, a serious candidate. He has certainly, um, you know, put up the W's for New Orleans, but more so than that, I mean, just the revitalization of New Orleans as a, a football area um, after the, um, you know, obvious the hurricane tragedies, the way that New Orleans was able to pull together and Sean Payton, such a big part of that and that team and, and Drew Brees. I mean, the, the long tenure there certainly plays in his favor the wins, the championship games. Yes, it's only one Super Bowl, but uh, all those playoff berths, division titles uh, for a franchise that, let's remember what the Saints were before Sean Payton and Drew Brees. They were the Aints. That was, <laughs> they were the Aints for the <laughs> longest time. So, I mean, that has to play into it as well. So I'm going to go with that as a definite truth uh, what he's done to turn around that franchise. That's a hall of fame coaching job. Absolutely. Especially in the wake of hurricane Katrina and the atrocious history of the saints before then, how he totally revitalized, not just that team, but that entire region. Dare I say he was at the center of it along with drew Brees. That partnership was essential. Yes. Uh, drew Brees, a great quarterback is even more important than a great coach, but it takes two to tango as they say. And when you have that combination uh, the sky's the limit as the Saints and Patriots with Brady and Belichick showed us like uh, Breeze and Peyton could be the best head coach quarterback combination other than Brady Belichick of this era, dare I say. And that is exactly why I think Sean Payton deserves a strong uh, look for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That said, I don't think he's done with coaching. He might take a break next year and go in the broadcast booth with Joe Buck at Fox, but uh, I don't think he's done, really. Truth or exaggeration, 
Sean Payton will be coaching the Cowboys in 2023. Uh, David, that has to be a truth because I don't see any other reason to keep Mike McCarthy around if I'm the Dallas Cowboys and I'm Jerry Jones. I just cannot understand why they're bringing him back. And the only reason I can think of is they figured Sean Payton doesn't want to coach in 2022. Um, you know, he certainly um, is still tied to the Saints. There's going to be compensation or whatever. And he pretty much sounded like, you know, if I was going to coach in 2022, I'd still be with the Saints. So he's taking a year off, recharging his batteries, going to the, the broadcast booth more than likely. Great fit. And then when Mike McCarthy screws up in the playoffs next year, for the Cowboys and then they finally fire him that's when Jerry can put the full court press on so so yeah I mean I I've got to say it's it's a truth he's you know got to be the front runner for Dallas head coach in 2023 it's the only thing that makes sense in Dallas right now I agree with you there as well my friend and sticking with the Saints for a moment current Saints defensive coordinator Dennis Allen will be the next head coach of the New Orleans Saints Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with the truth on that. I mean, he's been there. He's done the time. He's got the respect. Um, you know, he's he's done his interviews. He hasn't landed that position yet. But it just makes sense, just too much sense for New Orleans. Um, you've got somebody eminently qualified, knows the team, um, has done a great job in the defensive coordinator role and, you know, trying to keep as much continuity there as possible. Yeah. I think Dennis Allen, definitely that should be a truth. And he should be the next head coach of the saints. Yeah. Plus uh, given the uh, organizational stability, the saints have had for the past 15 years or so, you want to keep that stability going as much as possible by promoting from within. And uh, what better choice is there than Dennis Allen, although lines defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn was uh, Dennis Allen's number two man on that defensive coaching staff for many years before he uh, departed uh, for Detroit with Dan Campbell. So he is another good candidate, but I agree that Dennis Allen should get this job and back to the playoffs of the four remaining teams. The Kansas city chiefs are the clear favorite to win the super bowl. Truth or exaggeration. I, I know I said that that game was the super bowl last week. So I really should say truth, but you know, I'm going to say my mind was changed a little bit. Um, I've still got Cincinnati in the game. I'm not going to count them out. Uh, San Francisco, again, oh, boy, what a performance there. The Rams, certainly, they're all legitimate. I think all four right now, you've got four legitimate uh, Super Bowl potential champions here. So I'm going to go a little bit of an exaggeration. I'll say Kansas City maybe a slight favorite because of their experience there in the big game, but you know, um, not the clear cut, not the heavy. I, I think you've got three legitimate contenders in there right now. There's definitely a case to be made for that. And we will uh, further explore that case when we preview the two conference championship games. And let's go to another one of the final four teams, the 49ers, regardless of what happens the rest of the way, the 49ers should actually keep Jimmy Garoppolo 
2022 and let him and Trey Lance battle it out for the starting job at training camp. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know how you trade up to the number three overall pick, pick your quarterback, and then uh, keep him on the bench his entire rookie year and then not hand him the keys in year two. Oh, I think San Francisco has got to, you know, Hope they win the Super Bowl, drive up Jimmy's value, and get something in return for him because they've invested way too much into Trey Lance. He has to be the quarterback in 2022 for San Francisco. I mean, he just has to be. You know, I love Jimmy. I think there's going to be a lot of players in that locker room upset when Jimmy gets traded away eventually, but I, I think exaggeration that it has to be he has to be traded this offseason for the 49ers regardless of whether they lose this week get to the Super Bowl and lose or Jimmy puts up 400 yards in a W against whoever comes out of the AFC um, <laughs> I, I just can't see him back again with that investment in Lance. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Given the investment they made in Trey Lance by trading their next two first round picks in 2022 and 2023 to go up and get him. Um, they have no choice, but to hand the keys over to Trey Lance next season. It is time indeed. And staying with the 49ers Niners defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans will be a head coach in 2022 truth or exaggeration. Oh, I'd like to say truth. I mean, he's certainly putting himself um, out there. I think, you know, the, you know, the hardest thing with these head coaching searches, um, you know, is the most important thing is often the hardest thing to see from the outside. And, and that's the leadership. How are they as a leader of men? How are they in difficult circumstances, keeping their calm, keeping everybody on track? And, you know, D'Amico Ryans stepping in this year as defensive coordinator had a lot of pressure on him and he's really shined. I'd love to see him land somewhere like Minnesota, for example. I think he'd be a great fit there. But at the same time, there are so many quality candidates out there. I've got to put it as an exaggeration. You know, I mean, people like Raheem Morris should be a head coach next year. Um, you know, Todd Bowles should be back as a head coach. Uh, you know, there's too many. We've talked about Vance Joseph in the past, both coordinators for the Bills, Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier. I'd be so upset if either of those weren't a head coach either. So uh, I think he's, uh, you know, someone to keep an eye on for 2023, but there's just too much talent out there right now to go with the truth on this one here and say he's going to be the head coach, David. Yes, it's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of this coaching carousel goes. And speaking of that coaching carousel, the first domino fell this morning as the Broncos hired Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett as their new head coach. And sticking one more time with truth or exaggeration, the Broncos hiring of Nathaniel Hackett makes it even more likely that Aaron Rodgers is a Denver Bronco in 2022. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how can it not? You know, I mean, that's a flashing neon sign. Aaron 
land here in Denver, please. Um, my goodness, you couldn't make a, a better case to lure Aaron Rodgers over uh, for the Broncos. My goodness, can you imagine the Broncos, Peyton Manning, and then Aaron Rodgers there as well? Uh, wow. But yeah, definitely a truth on this one, David. Definitely a truth. I actually disagree with you because we do not know what Aaron Rodgers' true intentions are, and he still has very good relationships with members of that Packers coaching staff, including the guy who will likely succeed Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator, Packers current passing game coordinator, Luke Getze. That said, I was 100% sure that Aaron Rodgers was staying in Green Bay before last Saturday night. Now, based on all the buzz that's coming out of Green Bay and around the NFL, I'm not so sure. So... There is a chance it happens. I just don't think there's as much of a chance of it happening as you do. That said, we shall see. And let's proceed to the coaching carousel and grade all the new head coach and GM hires. The first domino, as I said, was Nathaniel Hackett to the Broncos this morning. What grade of A, B, C, or D would you give that hire? Like I said, for the head coaches, the hardest thing is, you know, knowing that leadership behind the scenes. Um, and certainly, you know, with the Packers, Matt LaFleur gets a lot of credit for that offense. Aaron Rodgers is going to as well. But, um, you know, what I've seen of Hackett, I think he exudes leadership. Who he brings in on that staff is going to play such a key role. But, I mean, definitely a solid hire. It's a B. And if they can get Rogers interested. It's going to be an A plus, but it's definitely a B or a B plus to start with. So um, definitely like that. I will have to agree with you there. Uh, as uh, James Palmer of NFL Network reported, the main reasons why Nathaniel Hackett got the job over the original front runner Dan Quinn was because he presented the best vision for all three phases of the game: offense, defense, and special teams. The Broncos have been atrocious in two of those phases in recent years. His ability to command a room, he exudes leadership, as you said. Just uh, watch that video that Nikki Jabla of the Washington Post tweeted of him um, uh, in October. Man, he, he, he's like, he talks like a guy that pumps you up and, and makes you want to run through multiple brick walls for, dare I say. He's that kind of guy. Uh, and he has an innovative approach toward coaching uh, that George Payton was looking for. Uh, he was one of the first during his time as offensive coordinator of the Bills to incorporate college RPOs into the NFL playbook, but they weren't called RPOs back in 2013. They were just called packaged plays. And uh, his relationship with his fellow coaches in Green Bay that gave him rave reviews just uh, was too much for the Broncos to say no. And I will give it a B plus for this reason. George Payton stepped outside his comfort zone. Instead of hiring one of his best friends in Dan Quinn, he hired a guy who he didn't have that deep of a relationship with in the past because he wanted to bet more on upside. And that alone deserves a B plus because most general managers just play it safe with their first coach. George Payton thought more boldly and he gets a B plus for that. My other favorite team, the Chicago bears have a new GM and head coach. And for the new GM, former Kansas city chiefs, executive director of player personnel, Ryan Poles, who was an undrafted free agent with the Chicago bears in 2008 but didn't make the team, but then immediately went into scouting and personnel and rose very, very quickly. And now at 36 years young, he has a promising young quarterback in his hands and experience with 
one of the best organizations in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. He was instrumental in their overhaul of their offensive line, especially in the draft with Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. He gathered a lot of intel, watched a lot of film on those two, and he sold uh, everybody in the building on them. He was so instrumental to a lot of what the Chiefs have done over the years. And the Bears feared that he was going to uh, get the Minnesota job where he was also finalist. So they just made him an offer he couldn't refuse and didn't allow him to leave the building. How would you grade the hire of Ryan Poles as GM for the Bears? David, I would rate that as a great hire there. Uh, Poles, I'll give him an A- minus on that. Uh, Kansas City, like we said, their personnel, the ability of the personnel department in Kansas City to work in tandem with Andy Reid, bring players that fit that offense, that fit that defensive philosophy of that team is one of the most important things um, you've seen so many teams where that breaks down between the head coach um, and the general manager and the personnel department. And those breakdowns are what cause people to lose their jobs. Kansas City has been the exact opposite. Like you outlined, Poles has been a huge part of that as well um, in that personnel role. And, you know, just look at that roster and, and how seamlessly it fits together and how everybody is maximized in that, bringing that to Chicago. Um, great hire. So, like I said, I've got to give, I'll give that an A minus. I would have to agree there, but their head coaching hire might be underwhelming at first. The Bears hired Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus to be their new head coach. A lot of people wanted a bright young offensive mind like a Brian Dable or a Byron Leftwich to pair with Justin Fields. But Matt Eberflus, uh, after um, uh, digging it, it his past aside from getting excellent performances out of the Colts defense in recent years, Eberflus is a guy that constantly preaches intensity and toughness, and he's considered a leader of men. And you are looking, first and foremost, for a leader in a head coach. So he definitely exudes leadership. And like I said, Ryan Poles, former offensive lineman, Matt Eberflus, preaching toughness and physicality. The Bears seem to have an idea for the identity of what kind of football team they want to be. They want to be a physical team. And you can absolutely be a physical team with an elite quarterback. Just look at the Seahawks with Russell Wilson at the beginning of the 2010s with the Legion of Boom defense. And when Russ, he wasn't quite where he was now, but he was still very, very good at, at that time. And the Bears, I think, want a similar team around Justin Fields. And I don't object to that. I originally was going to give it a C plus, but I think I'm going to give Eberflus a solid B. Yeah, I, I agree, David. I'm going to, I have him as a B plus. Again, the, the leadership and the ability to maximize the talent. Um, you know, Indianapolis, the four years that he's been there, has overperformed on defense based on that talent that's there. So, you know, bringing him into a situation with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn and, and Roquan Smith already there on defense, I think that's, there's nowhere to go but up for Chicago in that. And again, the big question now becomes, you know, who's the offensive coordinator? So you don't need an offensive genius as your head coach to develop that quarterback, but you do need somebody who is going to bring in the right person and who has those leadership 
uh, abilities for the other 53. So yeah, I was a little taken aback at first, um, but the more I thought about it, the more I dug in, I said, yeah, I like it more and more, and it's a B plus, and depending on who the OC is, that could go up to an A very easily. I would have to agree there as well. And the New York Giants last week hired Bill's assistant general manager, Joe Shane, as their new general manager. And I really like this hire. He was very yeah. instrumental in building the Bill's roster to what it is. He was literally Brandon Bean's final guy in the room, so to speak. He was instrumental in all the key decisions the Bills have made, including to draft Josh Allen and uh, his uh, belief in analytics. It's like a breath of fresh air. He is like the anti-Dave Gettleman in many <laughs> yes. ways. You just have to love how Joe Shane approaches things. Uh, the Giants couldn't have played this any better. I give it an A. Yeah, I, I'm with you as well on that, David. I have to agree completely. Straight A, if, if not an A+. Plus. Um, and it's shown, you know, not just working with the current uh, general manager and the leadership in Buffalo. He's been there for multiple iterations of that front office as well and survived and continued to move up. Um, so definitely has seen how to do it, has seen how not to do it. And like you said, you know, um, that collaborative approach to building a roster, being in tune with that coaching staff, I don't think there's a better example of that right now than uh, Buffalo out there. I mean, that's like the uh, model franchise as far as the front office and the, the coaching staff being in lockstep. And that's what every team wants. That's the key to success. I mean, just look at the successful teams. You see that across the board. So that's a great first step for the Giants to straighten things out, and I give it a straight A. Yes, you could say the same thing about the Kansas City Chiefs as well, both of those two teams. The Chiefs and the Bills could easily be the two best model organizations in the league right now, easily. And now let's talk about the new Vikings GM. After losing out on the Ryan Pohl sweepstakes, the Vikings immediately pivoted to their second finalist, Kwesi Adolfo Mensah, the former VP of football operations for the Cleveland Browns. Now, this guy came into the NFL in a very unorthodox way. A background on Wall Street trading derivatives, and none of us know what that means, so to speak, trading derivatives. But he uh, cut his teeth and got into scouting, and he's blending scouting and analytics. If he succeeds, he could set off a revolution in the NFL and yes, the Vikings might have missed on Ryan Poles, but everybody I uh, ran into on Twitter absolutely loves Kwesi Adolfo Mensah. He just knocked that press conference out of the park today. He's a bold thinker, and he is willing to really uh, go against the grain. And you need more of that where groupthink can easily be a crutch and groupthink dominates the NFL way too much. I'm going to give this a solid B plus, if not an A minus, depending on who he brings in as head coach. Yeah, I, I agree with you, David. I hate to keep saying I agree, but I, I agree there. Um, you know, it, we've seen it work in other sports. Baseball, obviously, was one of the first to move into the analytics and, and these Ivy League um, play, you know, these Ivy League wonder kids with uh, coming in and, you know, he 
He's done the work in, in, in Cleveland. He's been involved in the front office work, the contracts, the player personnel in the last, last couple of years, um, you know, working hand in hand with um, Andrew Berry, who's kind of that same type of Ivy League analytic driven general manager, that next wave, if you talk about it. So I think for Minnesota, it's the right thing do i think you're going to see a lot of owners going in this direction um especially if this pays off for minnesota as well and i i think it's great i i'm going to give them a solid b and again like you said based on who comes in as that head coach in minnesota that grade could certainly pop up to a b plus or a minus there and let's talk about the buzz surrounding the clown show, dare I say, that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tuesday night, it appeared to many, especially on the Jaguars beat, that Byron Leftwich, as the next head coach of the Jaguars, was a done deal. However, negotiations hit a snag, and the reason why? As reported this morning by Chris Porter, who covers the Jaguars for First Coast News down there in Jacksonville, is that Byron Leftwich wants Trent Balky out as GN and replaced with former Cardinal star safety and current Cardinals vice president of pro scouting, Adrian Wilson. And as a possible leverage play, it was leaked today that Leftwich is going to interview for that Saints head coaching job. Is it a no brainer for the Jaguars to finally do the right thing and fire bulky, who is clearly a detriment to the organization, given his poor reputation around the league? I think so. Can I hear the loudest hypothetical alert ever? Uh, David, it's the most logical thing. So, of course, that's not what they're going to do in Jacksonville, though. But, yes, they should. I agree 100% sound the simpatico alert. Get bulky out. We've been saying this for weeks, months, years, the two of us here. Um, oh, Jacksonville, please. I mean, just nobody wants to work with him that's like you know that's not the coach's problems that's the general manager's problem and that's where you've got to clean it up and if they lose left witch on this i mean who's left who's gonna take that job bill o'brien here is a candidate that has surfaced the jaguars were in denver on monday and Nathaniel Hackett was scheduled to fly out there today until the Broncos swooped in and decided to um, finalize the deal, and rightfully so. But the Jaguars weren't in Denver on Monday to spy on Nathaniel Hackett. They were there to pick up former Broncos head coach Vic Fangio. And according to Adam Schefter, they didn't interview him for the defensive coordinator job. They interviewed him for the head coaching job. My goodness. Don't get me wrong. I love Vic Fangio. He's a brilliant defensive guy, but he's a defensive coordinator. He's not a head coach. He's not a leader. He doesn't know how to pick the right offensive coordinators as we saw over the past two years. If Vic Fangio gets a head coaching job in Jacksonville and ends up bringing like a Rich Scangarello or an obscure name off the Shannon McVay tree with him. God help us. God help Jacksonville. God help Duval. God help Trevor Lawrence. That's all I can say. Oh, oh my God. The Jaguars are jaguaring this coaching search. That's what's happening. What we all, you know, were afraid of is going to happen. It's it's time to start the, the hashtag save Trevor Lawrence and, <laughs> and, you know, holdouts, whatever he needs to do, because this could be ugly. 
It could be, hopefully they prove us wrong and give Leftwich what he wants. But if they don't and they hire somebody like Fangio, oh my God, that is not going to look good at all. Now, Leftwich is head coach. Adrian Wilson is GM and Fangio's defensive coordinator. I could get behind that 120%. That's A pluses across the board right there. Oh, yeah. But the Jaguars seem to think that Dick Fangio can still be a head coach. Oh, my goodness. No, he cannot, unfortunately. And in Las Vegas, the Raiders are interviewing Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels on Saturday, as Ian Rappaport reported today. And moreover, they have already interviewed the de facto GM of the Patriots, Dave Ziegler, for their GM job. And if all goes well with McDaniels, a pairing of the two in Vegas is very possible, if not likely, given the fact that the Jim Harbaugh to Vegas train has died down rather significantly in recent days. If the Raiders decide to go in this direction, how effective should we expect a McDaniels-Ziegler regime to be for the silver and black? Well, I, I will say, you know, Josh McDaniels... <laughs> Can't do any worse than he did in Denver, right? Of course, yeah. He, he's older and wiser. <laughs> don't want to yeah. open those. Don't want to open those wounds for you, David. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, McDaniel's has definitely, I think, uh, learned a lot from that, and is being very picky about where he wants to go, and you know, certainly should not have full control over the personnel wherever he goes. He proved that in Denver. So, having Ziegler, who has been, you know a breath of fresh air in New England. I mean, just look at that last draft for the Patriots. Uh, Ziegler really put his uh, foot down and, you know, had ownership step in and, you know, make Belichick listen to Ziegler on that draft is what they say in the has been going on. And I mean, just grand slam, grand slam, grand slam. I mean, just a, great draft for the Patriots revitalize that franchise this year, bringing in Barmore and Mac Jones and Ramondre Stevenson. And those all have Ziegler's handprint all over them. So yes, definitely. If you're going to get Josh McDaniels, you need somebody that has worked with him that is going to be a strong general manager there, but also um, knows what he's going to want and work in tandem with them. So I think you kind of, if you're going to go with Josh McDaniels, you kind of have to have either Dave Ziegler or Elliot Wolf, another uh, Patriots front office um, person who's, who's had some interviews as well around the league for GM positions. So you got to have one of those two uh, to make it work, but definitely with the offensive talent that they have in Vegas, the idea of Josh McDaniels stepping in there, that could be, do we need another team <laughs> in the AFC West high powered and, and uh, offensive creativity that could be the greatest conference ever next year. For, if Vegas can get this right. Dare I say this, if the Raiders get McDaniels and the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers, we could see for the first time in NFL history, when all four teams from the same division make the playoffs, that's how good it could be if those two things happen. Still a big if. 
And now let's preview the AFC Championship game as the Bengals travel to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Joe Burrow at Patrick Mahomes. The last time these two teams met, it was a barn burner, and this time should be just as fun, if not more fun, hopefully. It's going to be tough to top that Bills-Chiefs game last week, but uh, this game could still bring the fireworks too. What do the Bengals have that the Bills do not have that you think will help them pull off the upset? Maybe luck. I think that's about the, <laughs> the biggest thing that we can go there with. Um, and well, I'm going to say one other thing, and that's the pass rush. Trey Hendrickson, the Bills invested a lot of draft picks in their pass rush, but they didn't get the results that they needed. And we saw Patrick Mahomes just pick them apart again this year uh, in the divisional round last week. So I'm going to say Cincinnati on that defense, get a little bit more of that pass rush. Yeah, they're going to miss Larry Ogunjobi, but between BJ Hill in the middle, Trey Hendrickson on the outside, if they can get pressure on Mahomes, keep him in the pocket under pressure, that's the recipe to get a W. And I think that Cincinnati is a little better equipped to do that than Buffalo was last week. Very good point. And you forgot one name, big DJ reader in the middle. Yeah. Uh, is it just a two down run stuffer, so to speak? He could push the pocket too, dare I say. And uh, that will be a matchup. We'll look into it just a little bit, but speaking of matchups, some people said earlier in the season that the NFL had solved Patrick Mahomes with those two high safety looks. Yet no team played more of that type of coverage against the Chiefs this season than the Bills, including last week. And you saw the historic performance Patrick Mahomes <laughs> had against them last weekend. How has Patrick Mahomes adjusted so, so well to this look over the past several months? Well, I mean, he's put his faith in Jarek McKinnon. He's put his faith in Byron Pringle and Nicole Hardman. And it's, you know, you look at them and you say, well, the stats don't really, you know, you don't see those huge numbers from those guys, but the faith, faith that he has on the third downs, when Tyreek Hill is double teamed, when Travis Kelsey is being held, um, not being able to get off the line of scrimmage. When you see those situations, that's where the Chiefs were struggling before. Uh, Mahomes was forcing the ball to Kelsey and to Hill, and now he's taking that chance and being rewarded by the Byron Pringles and the Jarek McKinnons on third down to be able to make those plays and extend those drives and really having that ability to put together those 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives has made them unstoppable again. It most certainly has, and this absolutely must put to bed the narrative that Patrick Mahomes is just a product of Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid. No, he is legit special. He is legit Michael Jordan special. End of story, isn't he? He definitely is. And I'll tell you, what he did last week against Buffalo is something um, that I thought he absolutely had gotten away from as well this the past year or two. And that's using his legs. And he, Josh Allen, the Bills defense um, oh, yeah. last week and made plays with his legs, made them play, made them pay, designed quarterback runs, uh, just adds that extra dimension to the offense. 
he did a great job. He was the leading rusher out of all the games last week. 69 yards, Patrick Mahomes, number one. So, hey, there you go. Um, he can do it all. And when you let him do it in the right situation and expand that, um, the playbook to include his legs as a weapon, all the more difficult to defend. And let's talk about the matchups that will decide this game. We'll go to the trenches in just a little bit, but the other secondary matchup that I think is going to decide this game, the Chiefs' weapons, obviously, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, and uh, Byron Pringle, McCole Hardman, Jarek McKinnon, or Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Daryl Williams even out of the backfield, Blake Bell on occasion, even Noah Gray, the rookie tight end. Lots of options for that Chiefs' offense against a stacked Bengals secondary with Shadobi Awuzie, Eli Apple, Mike Hilton, arguably the best slot corner in the game this year. That interception off Ryan Tannehill was pure brilliance by him. Oh, my goodness. And Jesse Bates, one of the best free safeties in the league. Uh, He uh, ate Tannehill's lunch on the first play of the game. The Bengals have a very, very underrated secondary that we haven't talked about enough. And uh, them uh, going against those Chiefs uh, weapons, uh, it's going to be a challenge for the Chiefs. It certainly is. I mean, the Bengals' defense is legitimate. There's no doubt about it. Um, That secondary, uh, Doby Awuzie has really been someone that's really stepped up this year. Love his play this year. I think it's a matchup that, again, gives them a chance and you know let's face it the buffalo secondary is absolutely fantastic but uh they certainly could have used tredavious white last week uh without a doubt there were certainly some plays that they missed him so uh cincinnati another spot where they might have a slight edge over buffalo uh last week there uh, because their secondary can stack up with anybody's and that's what it's going to take uh, that pass rush and that secondary working in tandem. Uh, if you get that pressure in the middle of the field, you can, and, and you have that coverage downfield, you can stop any quarterback. We've seen that over the last 20 years in the NFL. We most certainly have. And now let's go to those all important trench matchups and the matchup that could decide the game could very well be DJ reader going against the elite. Interior three of the Chiefs, Joe Tooney, whether he lines up there uh, or Trey Smith, and arguably the best center in the game already, rookie Creed Humphrey. If the DJ Reader can push the pocket against Patrick Mahomes and uh, Trey Hendrickson can uh, take advantage of uh, his matchup against uh, Andrew Wiley at right tackle, um, that I think is arguably the key to a Bengals win because I assume that Joe Burrow is going to get his fair share of electric moments. Uh, against the Chiefs as Josh Allen did last week. But uh, for the Bagels pull off the upset, their defensive front four has to win and win big. That's all there is to it, as you said yourself. Yeah, and, and the pass rush, you know, somebody I didn't mention for Kansas City as well um, on that defensive line as well is, is Sam Hubbard, who's had seven and a half sacks this year as well. Oh, yeah. He's going to be Hubbard going up against for Kansas City if there is a weakness. Uh, son of Zeus Orlando Brown at left tackle has been fantastic as a run blocker, especially when he was in Baltimore, but he does have 
breakdowns on occasion in pass protection and can be beat. And if Hubbard can make a big play, a strip sack or something like that, that could be just enough to turn that game. So uh, a matchup out there that you wouldn't be thinking, you know, going into this game with all these stars, Orlando Brown and Sam Hubbard, but that could be a matchup that decides this game. It most certainly could. And who do you have winning the AFC championship and advancing to Super Bowl 56? You know, I, I, I went with my heart with a couple picks last week and it paid off for me. So I've got to keep riding that Winstonati train. I just can't get off it right now. So um, I, I'm going to go with Cincinnati. I'm going to say, let's go to overtime again this week. And I'll take the Cincinnati somehow pulling it out. How? Well, that's going to be my bold prediction, but Cincinnati 24, I'm sorry, Cincinnati 30, Kansas City 24. Ooh, I like that bold thinking. I wish I was as bold as you, but <laughs> I am going to have to go with the Chiefs here. Too experienced, too battle-tested. I think the Bengals do keep it close for the vast majority of the game. I really, 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 really do. That said, I think there's something to be said about experience, and the inexperience of the Bengals will finally catch up to them in the fourth quarter when Patrick Mahomes throws a touchdown pass to Tyree Kill to put the game away. Chiefs 35, Bengals 24. And let's talk about that NFC Championship, an NFC West matchup, the 49ers, the Cinderella 49ers who need a miracle. 17 to nothing come from behind victory in the final seconds against the Rams at SoFi Stadium in week 18 to even make the playoffs. Now they face the Rams at SoFi again with a Super Bowl on the line and the Super Bowl being played at SoFi as well. Talk about coming full circle. And that said, uh, the first thing I think about when I look at this game is the up and down nature of not just Jimmy Garoppolo, but Matthew Stafford as well. Do you think this game almost yes. entirely depends on which version of Matthew Stafford and Jimmy Garoppolo for that matter shows up? Yeah. I mean, definitely the version that, you know, has those turnovers, uh, you know, the fumbles, the interceptions, especially early in the game. If either one of those quarterbacks shows up that way, uh, evil Jimmy or evil Matt, it's over. I mean, it's over. This is the NFC championship game. You're not going to get away with two or three turnovers. These quarterbacks have both got to be sharp, convert on third down and protect the football uh, in order to win this game. Yes. Uh, the fact that a lot of those Jimmy Garoppolo passes were pick six last week at uh, Labo is the arguably the main reason why the 49ers are here this week instead of uh, watching it all on the couch if those turned into picks this week for jimmy g niners are probably in big trouble huge trouble no doubt about it with this defense for the rams you cannot allow them to get their takeaways and give a short field to stafford in that offense so it's got to be a disciplined game by both teams with the ball and uh, the old adage is that it's hard to beat a team three times in one season Yet the 49ers have won six straight against the Rams and counting. Why do they seemingly have the Rams number? Uh, I mean, part of it, we, we talk about it every week, David, the familiarity of these teams. Um, you know, they know each other inside and out. Um, you know, Shanahan, 
Sean McVay. I mean, they work together. These guys are personal friends. They know each other. Um, they know each other inside and out. So um, for whatever reason, <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> Shanahan seems to have that slight edge over McVay in that familiarity contest. But divisional games are always going to be crazy. Um, we know that strange things always happen. And for whatever reason, the ball's been bouncing right for San Francisco in these matchups. And it's a matter of maybe that's all it takes is that one turnover here in this game. But this is the biggest stage for this matchup so far. And I'm so excited to see it. I am very excited to see this game as well. I totally expect a close game out of these two. And what matchups are you watching that could prove decisive? Well, I mean... A big one's going to be that uh, Ram secondary uh, against the 49ers because we know they've got Jalen Ramsey. Once you get beyond Jalen Ramsey, they've played well, but this is a big stage for the Nick Scotts and the, you know, Taylor Raps of the world here. And San Francisco is more than just Debo. You can put Ramsey on Debo in the passing game, but Debo is going to be involved in the running game. And Brandon Ayuk is going to make some big plays if he gets open or gets the ball in space. And there's the George Kittle issue as well. Um, so that's a very, very tough matchup for the Rams as well. There's a lot of options that San Francisco has. And if they get that running game going against them, that opens up the passing game. And nobody does that better than Kyle Shanahan. You forgot another key member of that 49ers offensive skill group, the juice, Kyle. Juszczyk. Ah. Oh my God. He could be the most important person in this game with his lead blocking on run plays and him being that extra weapon on third downs and other key, key situations. He could be the X factor, and I am not being hyperbolic there. Make the fullback no. great again. Yeah, I mean, there's very few teams that have a fullback that can make a difference, especially in the passing game, but he, he is definitely the unicorn in the NFL that teams are going to have to account for, like you said, on third down, or you, know, you can even run him out on a wheel route on the sideline, get him matched up on a linebacker, and create a world of trouble. Yeah, especially these Rams off-ball linebackers. They're not good in coverage. That is a mismatch waiting to happen if Kyle Shanahan decides to exploit it, and I'm sure he will. Any other matchups you have in mind? Uh, actually, I'll, I'll share a matchup I have in mind. Trent Williams is not going to be 100% this game. Arguably still the best left tackle in football, but when you're less than 100%, that might mean something. And he's probably going to be going against Leonard Floyd because Von Miller's probably going to line up on the right side. Von coming off another domination over Tom Brady in the playoffs. And uh, you could imagine that the 49ers are going to try to double um, Aaron Donald in the middle and devote a double to Von as well with like a, a tight end uh, that's not named George Kittle or a running back. But that leaves Leonard Floyd with a lot of one-on-ones against Trent Williams. And if Trent Williams is not 100% and Leonard Floyd uh, continues to get in Jimmy Garoppolo's face all game long and he pulls a Von Miller and forces a strip sack, that could yeah. be a problem. So uh, with the Niners devoting a lot of resources to taking away Von Miller and Aaron Donald, um, uh, 
Trent Williams uh, better hope he's at least close to 100% uh, because if he isn't, Leonard Floyd can make a key play. That's a great point there, David, because we've, you know, we talked about Jimmy Garoppolo throwing those pick six and, and nothing is worse for Jimmy. Nothing gets Jimmy rattled than that pressure in his face, trying to get the ball out, especially on a third down. So um, you can, there's only so many bodies you can throw at these pass rushers and with the Rams pass rushers, um, you said it, uh, less than 100% Trent Williams could be a huge problem on Sunday night. And who do you think comes away victorious in the NFC Championship game to go to I, Super Bowl 56 at SoFi Stadium? You know, I, I flip-flopped this pick about six times, and I'm wondering if I should do it again, but uh, I, it, it's, it's in pen. I can't erase it here, so uh, I'm going to say... It's, it's going to be close. I think it's going to be lower scoring type of game as well. But, you know, do I trust Jimmy G more than Matthew Stafford? That's such a difficult decision. I, I got to go with the 49ers. I think they're going to pull it out. Low scoring, close, running the ball well, a couple of big plays. I'll say San Francisco 17, Rams 16. Sound that symbolical alert, Hal. I like it. The 49ers just have this team of destiny flavor to them this year by how they had to claw their way into the playoffs down 17-0 against the Rams in L.A. and requiring a last-second drive from Jimmy G to do it. Jimmy G, who is just a league average quarterback at best for crying out loud. It just screams team of destiny to me. I do not want to bet against the 49ers. I have them winning. And here is how as we go to our bold predictions. Here's how the 49ers beat the Rams on Sunday. They hold the Rams to less than 250 total yards of offense, force five turnovers, including two red zone turnovers, one of which is returned by Fred Warner, the best linebacker in football, uh, it's 1-1-A between him and Darius Leonard, but I just uh, met Fred Warner once, so I'm biased toward Fred Warner. <laughs> so Fred Warner returns a pick six with less than two minutes left, and the 49ers up 20-17 to to seal a 27-17 49ers win. That is my bold prediction. Niners defense all the way. I like it, David. Love it. I'm going to go that same way in a, in a fairly high scoring game. I think it's going to come down to the defense. Um, my bold prediction, Cincinnati goes to overtime with Kansas city. And how does Cincinnati stop them? I'm going to say Mike Hilton does it again, intercepting Patrick Mahomes in overtime to set up the winning touchdown for Joe Burrow running it in himself from say 10 yards out Cincinnati onto the Super Bowl in dramatic fashion in overtime that's my bold prediction for this week if the 49ers win and you're right about the Bengals we'll have a rematch of one of the most epic Super Bowls ever Bengals 49ers it'll be so much fun and we always conclude the program with our challenge flags you go first here Hal all right, my challenge flag, I think it worked last well when I did the, the losers in the uh, wild card round. So for the four losers here in the 
uh, divisional round last week. I'm going to go rapid fire with you. Buffalo, you need a strong draft. You've got to restock on this team. This is the toughest part of continued success. Green Bay, doesn't matter what it is. Make Aaron Rodgers happy and stay. Tampa Bay, same thing. Get on the phone with Giselle. Get Tom back in 2022. That's your only off-season goal right now. And Tennessee, you got to find some playmakers on an offense. You were exposed last week. You need us, whether it's through the draft, getting Julio Jones healthy, um, find the fountain of youth, whatever that is. That's my challenge flag. Those four franchises, that's what you need to do to get yourself back here next year. My challenge flag goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. Play as if you're proud of the season you've had and the bright future that awaits you. No pressure. Just enjoy being in the moment, being in the second to last game before the Super Bowl when almost nobody had you there. In fact, I can't think of anybody that had you there this year. And the Bengals just approach the game with that mindset. Enjoy the moment. Play like you're absolutely proud of what you accomplished and that you have a bright future that awaits you no matter what. That will go a long way towards helping you pull off the upset in Kansas City. And he is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter at HalBet01 and catch his work at BostonSportPage.com and full press coverage. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back in two weeks to preview Super Bowl 56, predict the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2022, analyze the latest news on the coaching carousel and more hot buzz from around the national football league. So stay tuned. Why are we returning in two weeks? Because next week I will be in mobile Alabama to cover the 2022 Reese's senior bowl and thus kick off our 2022 dash to the draft series here on sports crunch. Stay tuned for some incredible up to the minute content from mobile by following me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at sports crunch with dcrom. And remember that's crunch with a K. Also, be sure to check out the new and improved sportscrunch.com. And last but not least, I want to give a very, very, very special shout out to my good friend McKenna, who made me an amazing customized episode planner that will help our episodes this year and beyond be even better. She truly makes the best customized items, and I highly encourage you to follow her on Instagram at Kenna's underscore customs, K-E-N-N-A-S underscore customs, and that's customs with a K as well. For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and enjoy Conference Championship Weekend, cats, kittens, stay cool.